God bless you, and thank you, Brother Deacons, for serving God's people. If you would, please get a Bible. Let's turn to uh, Matthew. Matthew. Matthew chapter 14. So Monica and I were worshiping with y'all from online last Sunday. That's a rare experience for me and her. And uh, it was kind of neat. We have a a small pool in our background, and we were uh, worshiping with you in the pool online. Why, why are you looking at me like that? We were worshiping God online in our pool, and we had the, we had the music going, and it was, I mean, from the beginning to the end. And I, as I was uh, uh, worshiping God in the pool, I was thinking to myself, wow, this is, this is very comfortable. This is very convenient. And I thought to myself, well, wait a minute. As a church member, it would be really tempting if I didn't have any problem with COVID-19 or anything like that, if, if I didn't have a problem with that, okay, it would be really tempting out of comfort and convenience to just stick to the online thing and not come in person. <clears throat> um, now, those of you online, don't, don't get all uppity on me, okay? You, you follow your conscience. You know, in other words, if, if you feel in your conscience, right, because of COVID-19, um, that you prefer to be online, you need to follow your conscience. Amen. Right, church? Absolutely. Be blessed and go in the peace of God. Amen. Especially those of you that are 70 and older, I would recommend as your lead pastor not to come. Okay? But if you have no qualms in your spirit or conscience with relation to, uh, you know, COVID-19, I would ask you to consider Hebrews 10.25, which says what? Hebrews 10.25, anyone? Do not forsake the assembly of the brethren, basically. As some who are in the habit, it says, right? So we need to be gathering together and and singing together. And I'm so thankful for John MacArthur suing the state of California and suing the mayor and suing, let's see who else, I think the governor, they're suing a lot of places, right? Why? 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 Why would a church sue the civil authorities because they take verses like Hebrews 10:25 seriously and in Colossians and Ephesians where it says sing to the Lord that's in a corporate collective uh, gathering of the body in fact you know what the word church literally means in the Greek you know, you know what the word church it's ekklesia you know what it means the, the assembled ones <laughs> the called out ones okay so Let's make sure that we're listening to the voice of the Lord in these times. And Jesus told us what these end times would be like in Matthew 24, 12. Okay? He says this, Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. So as I begin, let me ask you, do you think we're living in the last days? Do you think Jesus is coming soon? Have we not seen a massive increase in lawlessness? It's like a demonic horde has been unleashed. Democrat mayors in their cities are teaching that we need to defund the police. Okay? That is utter lawlessness. Okay? 
Now, some of you might get a little nervous if, you know, if, if there are Republican cities, I'd be naming the Republican cities, okay? The majority of them are not Republican cities. So what's the result of that kind of teaching of the lawlessness? Defund the police. What is the result of that teaching? Listen to me very carefully. It results in a dramatic increase in evil. A shocking upsurge in victims of horrible crimes, the destruction of property. Police men and women and their vehicles are getting pelted and with their vehicles with softball-sized rocks, glass bottles, golf balls, ball bearings, metal railroad spikes, and plastic eggs filled with paint. There has been almost 90 straight days of violence in Portland. Everybody get your head up and look at me. Are you listening to me? Almost 90 straight days of this in Portland. It should have been one day. It should have been one day of this. This is not normal. You need to know this. This must be stopped. This should be put to an end. We should not put up with this. Evil must be stopped, and if not, listen to me and mark it well, if not, it will only increase. It will only increase. And if you're a Texan who doesn't care about this because it's in the Northwest and we can't find Portland on the map, (laughs) consider this. Recently, the Austin, Texas City Council unanimously voted to cut its police department by $150 million. I wouldn't want my family to live in the Democrat-controlled area of Austin, would you? The city council's move makes Austin, listen, it makes Austin, that move makes Austin the first of Texas's four biggest cities to drastically cut police department funding and the share of the police department budget that was cut is among the largest percentage decreases in the entire nation this year. Austin, Texas. Is Dallas next? Is the city of the colony next? Beloved, we're living in the last days. And how are we to conduct ourselves as citizens in God's kingdom? How are you going to lead your family through this as a man of God and a woman of God? And is the majority of this church understanding of the times or are we largely deceived by the spirit of the age? Today I have 12 qualities of kingdom citizens. 12 qualities. And all God's people said, that's a lot of points, man. Overall, I've been out for a couple Sundays, okay? Or one Sunday. (laughs) My purpose in this message is to hold up these 12 kingdom qualities like signs. Think of these as signs. I want to hold them up, and I want to point to them and say, this is the way to go. This is the way to live. Follow these signs. Now, Matthew's gospel focuses on the teaching of Jesus, okay? We are in Sunday number, uh, is it four on Matthew? This is Sunday four on Matthew, I think. 
All right? So by now, when you think Matthew, think teaching of Jesus. Okay? And I want people, and I want to help people to experience the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus. Okay? I don't want them to be like how I was, even though I grew up in a Southern Baptist church uh, from wee little. And I was there, me and my family was there every time the church doors were open, and I didn't get the unified story of the entire Bible that led to Jesus. Got a story there, story there, a little story there, there, there. Crucifixion, yeah, okay. okay. So, in the ancient past, according to how the Old Testament goes, the rebellious angels, they're called the sons of God, when they came down, they had their own curriculum. Students, you started uh, school, right? Well, these guys, these bad boys, they had their own curriculum and their own syllabus, and they taught humanity to sin better through weapon-making, through cosmetics, through drugs, and through occult knowledge. And this led to human destruction, the proliferation of the depravity of mankind, and therefore the flood came. But through the teaching of King Jesus, the capital S Son of God, when he comes to earth, it leads to human flourishing. Amen. Flour it leads to life and righteousness. Now, let's go over the structure of Matthew uh, very quickly. As a whole, there's five major sections. Let's see if this is going to work or not. Okay, I'm pressing the button, and it's on, on. So just... Let's, let's go. Let's go to the slide with all of Matthew, okay? So there's the 12 qualities next. There you go. All right, so that's a big picture of where we are in Matthew. Now, you may recall our brother Joel preached on the third major section last week, okay? And he did an absolutely fantastic job. And our brother Joel gave us three realities and responses to King Jesus and his kingdom, and he only had three chapters. Bless my heart, I have seven to cover in this message. All right? Joel showed us three things, if you'll recall. Some have questions about Jesus and his kingdom. Some oppose Jesus and his kingdom, and some receive Jesus and his kingdom. And so, obviously, I can't cover all these 12, so just buckle up as I like to. I'll uh, focus more on some than the others, all right? So let's get to it. Number one, kingdom citizens suffer persecution for standing against immorality. If you want to keep your Bibles open, we're starting in, in chapter 14, and we'll be dipping in and out all the way through uh, <coughs> 20. <coughs> Excuse me. So in this context, John the Baptist stands against the immorality of a politician named Herod. Everybody say Herod. Herod divorced his wife in order to marry Herodias, who was the wife of his half-brother Philip, and by now we need an org chart. Okay? Look at verse 4 of chapter 14. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. What is he doing? He's calling out a politician for his immorality. And what happens? Well, this statement obviously made Herodias mad, and at Herod's birthday, Herodias had her daughter dance for him and all of the guests. And scholars argue over what kind of dancing it was, whether it was moral or immoral, her, Herod is probably drunk. He likes what he sees, and he tells her, hey, I'm going to give you whatever you want. Now look at verse 8. Having been prompted by her mother, she said, quote, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. This is why John died. He's calling out a politician for his immorality, and he suffered persecution. 
He literally lost his head because of it. This, however, is what kingdom citizens do. We suffer persecution for standing against immorality. So we must ask ourselves, are we making similar stands? Are we making similar stands against immorality or are we, are we siding with immorality? Number two, kingdom citizens see Jesus as greater than Moses. And again, um, you may remember our brother Joel made this observation last week. But it's also because of verses like 13 to 21. The people followed Jesus to a secluded place. Evening came, and the disciples tell Jesus to send the crowds away. And verse 16 is, is funny to me. I, it makes me have a smile on my face as to what Jesus responds. <laughs> Look at verse 16. But Jesus said to them, they did not need to go away. You give them something to eat. <laughs> Exclamation mark. That's funny to me. The disciples are like, we don't have any money. It's late. It's in the evening. We're in a secluded place. Jesus said, no, you give them something to eat. And the disciples say, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, bring them here to me. And miraculously, he feeds how many people? Well, 5,000 men. Sorry, ladies, you don't count back then. <laughs> and not count the children either. 5,000 men. Okay, so it's, it's way more than 5,000. Look at verse 20. It says this, they all ate and were what? NASB says satisfied or full, perhaps your translation says. Ah, oh, I love that. They all ate and were satisfied. Beloved, listen to me. Let us not think of God as a stingy, penny-pitching God. I would ask you to consider that Jesus' miracle created, listen, more than enough food. More than enough. And to his disciples who previously had only five loaves and two fish, Jesus gave them an entire basket full each. And he did this after they were full. You see what I'm uh, arguing for here? Oh, the grace of God. The great Jesus is a more than enough God. His kingdom not only provides the need, his kingdom brings abundance. Abundance. Kingdom citizens see Jesus as greater than Moses. And we should be quick to point this out to our Jewish friends. He's greater than Moses. Number three, kingdom citizens see Jesus as greater than the forces of chaos. Verses 22 to 36 it tells us the account of Jesus walking on the water. Uh, in the Old Testament, the sea represents what? The forces of darkness. That's just plain Jane, ancient Israelite understanding. Same thing with the first century Jews. The sea and the, the waters, they represent forces of chaos. And in the Old Testament, what deity did God's people struggle with the most? Anybody want to take a shot? Any of you Sunday school teachers out there, community group leaders? What deity in the Old Testament did God's people struggle with the most? Starts with a B. Bingo, Baal. If we're going to get technical, it's Baal. But we don't talk like that because we're from Texas, so let's go with Baal. Okay? Who was Baal? Baal is a proper name in the Old Testament. He was the most important deity in the Canaanite pantheon. This is so good. Baal is a storm god. He's a nature deity. So when Jesus is walking on water, he's communicating something other than, look at me walk on water. 
Oh yeah, it's a theological message. It's more like, you need to know I'm greater than Baal. You need to understand I reign supreme over the forces of chaos. Remember that, child of God, when you see the cities of America burning. Who's in control? Who's in control? Now, think about that when Jesus bids Peter to come and walk with him on the water. You see what's happening? Amen. Let's Let's have this. Let's have this understanding. Listen, to be a Christian means, yes, your sins are forgiven, and it also means you have a status, you have a position in Jesus Christ over the forces of evil. Amen. In having this, let's avoid what caused Peter to sink, which is found in verse 30. So let's not be sinking Christians. Look at verse 30. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. This is what the powers of darkness like to do. Get God's people to focus on the circumstances, not the Savior. So let's not give in to that stuff. Look at the Savior, beloved. Look at the Savior more than your circumstances. Amen. No more sinking. Rise. Amen. No more sinking. Back, eyes back on Jesus. Rise, church of God. Rise. Verse 31, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him. And look what Jesus is saying. (laughs) You of little faith, why did you doubt? Oh, I see myself in that, don't you? Don't you see yourself there? Oh, I hear the words of Jesus saying that to me. You of little faith, why did you doubt? So let's not doubt. Let's maintain faith. Let's maintain faith by having eyes on Jesus. Kingdom citizens see Jesus as greater than the forces of chaos. Next, number four. Kingdom citizens focus on internal matters of the heart rather than externals. How are they doing with the slide back there? I'm not saying anything. Are they doing good? So good? Kingdom citizens focus on eternal matters of the heart. Now we're in the chapter 15, 1 through 20. This is where Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for a certain kind of hypocrisy among the Pharisees. They were not honoring their father and mother by helping them financially. Did you know that? Instead, they gave the money to God or the service of God, and Jesus rebukes the Pharisees and brings the disciples together in for another teaching moment. Pick up, if you would, in verse 17. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, excuse me, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. So in principle, kingdom citizens focus on internal matters of the heart, not the external religious rules. Number five, kingdom citizens know Jesus' kingdom is for all ethnicities. Now, I was a little nervous about talking about uh, some political stuff earlier. Now I'm really nervous about this one. 
because something shocking to a first century Jew happens in verses 21 to 28, and I'm a little nervous about that. I'm, a, I'm nervous to tell you that. So are you ready? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Those of you online, let's go. Okay? A Canaanite woman calls on Jesus to heal her demonized daughter. Whoa. Y'all don't look astonished. I said, a Canaanite woman calls on Jesus to heal her demonized, a Canaanite woman. Okay, now, if there's a disconnect, let me help with the bridge here. Reading our Bibles from left to right, who is the, who is the big dog deity that I just mentioned? His name begins with a B, right? Who did the, who's, who served Baal? The what? The Canaanites. We're all the giants in the land, in the land of Canaan. And a Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus with a demonized daughter and he calls upon him to heal her. This is fascinating because at first he doesn't answer her. Jesus saved my daughter. He's mum. Says nothing. The disciples say to Jesus, send her away because she keeps shouting at us. (laughs) Send her away. She keeps shouting at us. Then Jesus says this, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Whoa. Yeah, Matthew, it's a Jewish Messiah. Amen. (laughs) Yes. And then he also says, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Who is he referring to? The Canaanites. (laughs) And listen to this in verse 27. But she said, yes, Lord. By the way, don't drive by that real quick. Yes, who? not Savior. Yes, Lord. Even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And then Jesus said to her, oh woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Praise God. How can we principalize this? I'll tell you how kingdom citizens people who love jesus christians know that jesus kingdom is for all ethnicities doesn't matter about the color of your skin doesn't matter what kind of language you speak doesn't matter where you come from doesn't matter how much money you have the kingdom is for all ethnicities this would have been shocking to first century jews And Matthew is careful to show that Jesus and his kingdom is for everybody. Now, it's not just Jew. Yahweh, in the Old Testament, Yahweh God is not a tribal deity stuck into the nation of Israel. He's the, the creator of the universe. And the gospel, Paul says, is what God said to Abraham, in you, all the nations will be blessed. Why is that? Because out of Abraham's seed, out of his line, and the line of David comes the Messiah, King Jesus. That's why Matthew starts off like he does in chapter one, verse one. I had one member tell me he wants me to back up and go through the genealogy again. Like, this is wonderful. That's a great idea. Y'all want to do that? No, you don't. Let's continue. Okay. All right, what number am I on? Six? That was five. I'm done with five. Go to six. Here we go. Kingdom citizens see Jesus 
heal temporary needs on his way to healing eternal needs. I'm trying to summarize verses 29 to 39 here. Uh, If you would pick up in chapter 15, verse 30, and large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others, and they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. Have you ever considered these miracles? He's fixing these, he's healing these temporary issues on his way to the cross, which is the ultimate issue that we all have a problem with. That's our sin, and we can't, we can't pay for our sin, right? Only God can forgive us of our sin. And then right after that, um, um, he feeds an additional 4,000 men, not counting the women and children again. So now it was 5,000 men, now it's 4,000 men, that's 9,000, but many thousands more when you add up the wives and the children. So you see the principle here. We're seeing Jesus heal temporary needs like sickness and disabilities, feeding people on his way to the ultimate healing, which is through his death, burial, and resurrection. And this is why, let me just highlight this, this, it's for reasons like this in following Jesus, why in the history of Western civilization, it was the Christians who built the hospitals, amen, It was the Christians who were trailblazers in building not just hospitals, but also colleges and universities and things like food banks. In fact, I believe it's uh, the first 300 colleges and universities that were founded in America were for the propagation of the gospel to train ministers. I'll give you one uh, of their names. You might know it. Harvard. Harvard University was begun to train pastors and ministers to spread the gospel in our nation. My, 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 how that place has drifted, huh? Institutions always drift to the left. They never drift to the right. That includes churches. So, flock of God, pray for the elders, pray for one another that we don't do a steady, slow sink and slide. By the way, this, for this upcoming week, can I give you some homework? School has started. How about some good homework? Find a need in someone else's life and meet it this week. Would you do that with me? Raise your hand. Would you commit that with me? Monica, hold me accountable for this, please, because I'll forget. All right? So let's find a need in someone's, li- in someone's life and meet it, okay, as led by the Lord. Amen. I'm happy. Y'all raised your hand. You need to do that more, though, during the singing. Am I right, Jason? A little bit more. All right. Number seven. (laughs) What if Jason was like, no, no, I don't agree with you, Pastor Mark, no. (laughs) That would be funny. Number seven. Kingdom citizens, watch out for legalistic teaching. I'm seeing this in chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. This is similar to number four, so I won't spend much time on this. Number four was about focusing on internal matters, but I do want to highlight uh, verse six of chapter 16. Jesus said to them, quote, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And this is one of those points in the gospel where the disciples come off really dumb. Can I use that? Really dumb or stupid, okay? They look very foolish in this episode. And 
I must be quick to confess it's a picture of me, amen, and it's a picture of you. It's a picture of us, okay? Um, and this should only serve to highlight the grace of God and the patience of God with us. They thought Jesus was talking about bread since he's just fed a bunch of people with bread. So he says, beware of the leaven of the Sadducees, right? The Pharisees, rather. Now pick up in verse 11. <laughs> can, you, can you hear the emotion in Jesus' voice in verse 11, Matthew 16? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? How is it that you didn't understand that? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. By the way, the Pharisees are the conservatives. The Sadducees are the liberals. Sadducees don't believe in uh, angels or spirits nor the resurrection. Therefore, they're sad, you see. Oh, bad uh, pastor joke there, okay? So it's both the left and the right. Legalistic teaching creates legalistic people. And here Jesus is saying, watch out for that. Avoid both. Legalistic people are snobby. Say amen. In fact, look to the person to your right. And No, no, we won't go there. I was going to say, you're snobby. No. They manipulate people. Listen to me. Legalistic people. They're snobby. They manipulate people. They create cliques. Not only do they create cliques, they maintain and fiercely defend those cliques. And because they're insecure, if you don't stay with their clique, then they will punish you through two things, false guilt, and they'll withdraw from you. Okay? Leaven, I'm not a baker. I'm not good in the kitchen. Well, what's leaven? Leaven causes the expansion of dough. It permeates everything. Legalism will do the same in our lives. So let's follow Jesus and say, let's beware of this. Okay, let's beware. We're all prone to fall into these things. Every last one of us, myself included, all of us are prone to this. So let's, uh, let's avoid this as God's people. All right, let's go to number eight. Kingdom citizens are part of a victorious kingdom. Verses 13 to 28. The first thing we see here is that the Father effectively reveals Jesus to his people despite their blindness. As a mouthful, I'll repeat that. The Father effectively reveals Jesus to his people despite their blindness. Sometimes new Christians, brand new in the faith, they have such a fervent love for the Lord and they use language like, I found Jesus. Well, no, you didn't. You were lost. He wasn't lost. You were lost. He found you. Amen. And he caused you with your blind eyes to see his glory and he gave you faith to believe. Amen. <laughs> and we see this here because uh, if you would look at verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of where? Uh-oh, cue up the scary music, Caesarea Philippi. Maybe the Darth Vader music. Dun, 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 dun. All right? This is, in the Old Testament, reading your Bible from left to right, this is the area where the gates of hell were, according to the Old Testament story and how it went. This is where all the bail, I mentioned bail earlier, this is where the bad bail stuff happened. 
where the giants were. And he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? It's a fascinating response in verse 14. And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now that's interesting to me that they single out two prophets, Elijah and Jeremiah. What's Jeremiah's nickname? The weeping prophet. And how does Elijah pray? Remember Mount Carmel? He's calling on fire to fall, and then he kills all the prophets of Baal. 450, I believe, right? So what does that tell us about what the people saw in Jesus? Well, he's just such a gentle man, just a sweet young man, saying these wonderful things, just love one. They saw, listen to me, they saw the fire of Elijah in Jesus. Now, I made fun of the tenderness, but they also did see the tenderness of a guy like Jeremiah in Jesus. Amen. Amen. We need a whole Jesus in the pulpit today. We need a whole Jesus in the church today. And what are churches prone to do? Go soft. Go soft. Love, 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 until all of a sudden you're compromised. That ain't love. And then the other way, fire, right? Fire and brimstone. Where's the love? Where's the tenderness? They saw both in Jesus. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And who's the first to speak among the disciples? Oh, Peter. Thank you, Peter. Verse 16, you are the Christ, literally the smeared one, the anointed one, to be smeared with oil, the Son, capital S, of the living God. Now, every, I wish I had a megaphone and the sound system went throughout the entire DFW Metroplex. Every church member needs to see verse 17. Stay with me, verse 17. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Do you understand what that means, beloved? The Father effectively reveals Jesus to his people despite their blindness. Peter didn't get that on his own. He was graciously given to him by God the Father. Now, there's another thing in these verses I'd like to highlight, and this is uh, where the Son effectively builds his church. Very famous verse in verse 18 where Jesus say, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Super fast church history lesson. The Roman Catholics interpret this to mean Peter the man, and so Peter's the first pope, according to their understanding of verse 18. Protestants say, no, it's not about Peter the man, it's about Peter, his confession. It's the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that's what Jesus Christ will build his church upon, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I would, of course, vote for the <laughs> that second one, right? But I want to add something else. What if he's also referring to the geography of where he says this? Back to the Caesarea Philippi, ancient Baal territory, giant territory, uh, territory, uh, Old Testament gates of hell territory. So what's going on here? So I, I'm seeing 
that Jesus may in fact be talking to the rock that was all around him as well. So the sun effectively destroys Satan's kingdom with ironic reversals. God, God is into poetic justice and poetic retribution, beloved. How does he destroy Satan's kingdom? Is it through raw power or through the weakness on the cross? You see? totally upends how we normally think about power and as a matter of application if you want to explore further how God engages in ironic reversals from Genesis to the maps there's a wonderful book called Redemptive Reversals and the Ironic Overturning of Human Wisdom by G.K. Beale so if you're all looking uh, for some end time summer reading I offer you Redemptive Reversals and the Ironic Overturning of Human Wisdom, wisdom by J.K. Beale. And it's not a head-heavy, you know, massively footnotes everywhere. It's a good read. Excellent uh, theologian. All right, number nine. Y'all with me? Number nine, here we go. Stay with me now. Kingdom citizens, behold his glory. Now, verse 1 of chapter 17 says what? Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them upon a high mountain by themselves. So they're at Caesarea Philippi. Geographically, that's at the base of Mount Hermon, okay? So what's the best candidate for a high mountain if you're at the base of Mount Hermon? Scholars will debate this, but I'm saying it's Mount Hermon. And it says in verse 2 that he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his garments became as white as light. What is happening here? Did Jesus put his finger in some light socket nearby? What is happening here? His divinity is outshining his humanity. That's what's happening. And so if you're in Caesarea Philippi, the most likely candidate, as I said, for a high mountain is Mount Hermon. And in Jewish thought, this is the mountain where the rebellious sons of God came down when they left heaven in reference to Genesis 6, 1 through 4. It's ground zero of evil. And it's as if Jesus goes to that very place. We can't pound the pulpit on that. That's just uh, first century Jewish thought. But if that is the case, it's fascinating that it would be this place where Jesus reveals his divinity in all of his glory, Right? And it's as if he's almost baiting the powers of darkness. Come get some. And they do. Because in two weeks after this, he's on a cross. He's on a cross. This is both a literal and spiritual mountaintop experience. One that both Peter and John would write about again later in their letters. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's doing multi-level things, but as it relates to the disciples, he's preparing his disciples for his death. They need to see his glory. Right? They need to see that he is God. He's got a beard, he's got clothes, he's got dust on his feet, he eats, right? He uses the restroom. Is this the man or is this God? Yes. Yes. Kingdom citizens, behold his glory and we beloved listen we with the eyes of faith also see the glory of Jesus Christ do we not do we not see the glory of Christ in his birth do we not see the glory of Christ in his life and his miracles do we not see the glory of Christ 
And the last place anybody is looking for glory to be found on a Roman cross, naked, do we not see the glory of Christ there? Yes, with the eyes of faith we do. We see the the glory of the resurrection and his ascension and his session where he sat down at the right hand of the Father on high. And one day very soon, we shall see him not with the eyes of faith. We're not gonna need faith. We're gonna see him with our naked eyes, amen? When he comes in power and glory, he's gonna destroy his enemies with the brightness of his coming. Amen. The spirit and the bride say, come Lord Jesus. Number 10, kingdom citizens experience failures of faith. What? What? At the pinnacle of the the transfiguration, come down off the mountaintop experience. Verses 14 to 23, and by the way, we've seen an experience uh, a failure of faith earlier with Peter on the water. Now in these verses, a man comes to Jesus with regard to his son. Verse 15 of chapter 17, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. I'm very tempted to stop right there and apply that to one of my sons, but I'll digress there. Have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill. And this isn't, this isn't the funny part. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. Now, why is he doing that? This, this, this is a modern term for this. It's called self-harm. Self-harm is a manifestation of spiritual affliction. Cutting these kind of things. This is what the devil does. Imagine being the father. He says, I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. Now, the response of Jesus is more like Elijah than Jeremiah here, (laughs) okay? His response would be considered not nice to many people today. In fact, his response offends many people's view of compassion. Look at it in verse 17. You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. Verse 18, and Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Verse 19, the disciples say, hey, notice verse 19, came to Jesus, what, privately? Not with everybody watching, let's talk about this in private. Uh, Why could we not drive it out? And Jesus said, because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you guys know how small a mustard seed is? Super, super small, right? If you have the faith of a size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Are you, are you noticing the context of what Jesus just said? It's in the context of spiritual warfare that he brings up the mountain, okay? So this passage has been misunderstood and misused by some preachers. Mountains often represent kingdoms, not personal problems, not personal issues, or like having a bad hair day, okay? Jesus is talking about having faith for the purpose of ordering evil forces from you when they manifest, That's what he's talking about. He's also talking about having faith to seek God as to why those forces are there in the first place. 
Okay? So, constant rebellious sin is an open door for spiritual affliction as God's people. I'll get to that. There's a a parable that Jesus talks about forgiveness. There's more on that later. Stay with me now. Anytime we uh, 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 seek occult knowledge, right, play on the devil's uh, playground with light as a feather, stiff as a board, and Ouija board, and the occult type stuff, that's an open door to spiritual affliction. Sexual abuse can be an open door to uh, spiritual affliction. Number 11, kingdom citizens navigate living as both sons of God and strangers in this world. Verses 24 to 27, I think this is the only episode about taxes um, as it relates to this particular incident. It's only found in Matthew. Remember, Matthew, what is his trade? He's a tax collector. So I think this must have impacted him. Notice verse 24 of chapter 17. When they came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax from their sons or from strangers? Look at this response. Peter said, from strangers. Jesus said to him, the son, then the sons are exempt. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw in a hook and take the fish that uh, comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and me. <laughs> this is great. By the way, if you're, if you're good with uh, Genesis 1-1, you're good with Jesus using the fish to pay the tax. Amen. He can do whatever he wants with his creation, right? But you see how I'm principalizing this? We must navigate living as both sons of God and strangers in this world. They're like colliding in this little pericope here, this little episode. Beloved, if you're in Christ, you are royalty. You're royalty. You're a royal son or daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And in that position or place, we are not like the people of this world. Amen. Now, we Americans, we're bad with royalty. We, we kiss the British goodbye. You know, we don't have a sense of royalty. But just think about, well, I was going to say think about the royal kingdom there, but I don't because I'm an American. But that's the only thing we have. You know what I'm saying? We're Americans. We don't have a, a royal lineage. But that We have one in Jesus. And, and Jesus basically says, go ahead and pay the tax so that they do not get offended. So, Application. Remember, remember your royal status this week, would you? Not in a cocky way, but remember who you are. Remember what God has made you in Jesus Christ. It's more than you squeaking by, sins are forgiven, Whew, I made it to heaven. Ah, excuse me? You're a daughter of the king. You're a child, you're a son of God. You're royalty. And when you feel frustrated with the things of this world, and when you see the craziness from the people of this world, in your spirit, rise above it. Live above it. Seek God's wisdom in order to navigate your position in him and the things of the world at the same time. Depend upon him on these things. All right, number 12. Whew. 
Number 12. Kingdom citizens receive his kingdom teaching. Chapters 18 to 20. The first of which is the paradox of kingdom greatness. The disciples ask Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And the basic answer is humility. And this is when he gets a child, stands the humble child in front of him, and says, you need to be like this. Humility. There's another kingdom teaching here, and that's with regard to the precious value of children. The precious value of children. There's a little bit more of Elijah in Jesus on this one, where in the context of the child, he moves on to say, if you cause one of these little ones to sin, it would be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and thrown into the sea. <laughs> you know why he said that? Because he's a mean God? No, he's a very loving God, and he understands the precious value of children. By the way, Pastor John, do we have a the human sex trafficking walk coming up October 10th that's a good application to this we need a closed border at least for this reason human trafficking of children and women are coming up through the southern border period we could go on to the drugs and that kind of thing and guess who's number two in human trafficking in the United, Na uh, United States? Texas. Who's paying for that? Rich people in North Dallas are. If at all possible, follow your conscience as it relates to COVID-19. If at all possible, I'm asking every member, if you can do it, if your schedule will allow it, or if you could tweak your schedule, let's come and raise the awareness of that insidious market in our neighborhoods and cities and state. You can push back the darkness. You can hold the sign on a street corner and it's going to increase awareness. And let me tell you something, the bad guys don't like it. And that's why we should like it. And not go to the mall and shop and do the human trafficking walk. Amen. Let's do it, church. Let's do it. There's a third thing with regard to kingdom teaching. The pattern for dealing with sin in the church. This is outstanding sin. <clears throat> this is where if your brother sins against you, you go to him privately. <laughs> privately. If he doesn't listen, or if he does listen, you warn your brother. If not, take two or three. Then he quotes Deuteronomy so that everything might be established. If he doesn't listen to them, then he says, Jesus, the Son of God, says, tell it to the church. And if he doesn't listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. It started with he's a brother. It ends with he's not. Keep loving him. Keep sharing the gospel. Don't treat him as a brother. Because a real brother is going to do what? A real brother is going to do what? Turn around. Repent. <laughs> and Jesus cares more about his church than you do. 
In fact, this is the only second time in all of Matthew's gospel where he uses the word ecclesia church. The first was, I'm gonna build it, ecclesia, and the gates of hell's not gonna prevail against it, and then it's in this context in dealing with outstanding sin. Those two, I see, are inextricably linked together. Amen, you following with me? We also have the principle of forgiveness in verses 21 to 35. Oh, this is so good. This is so good. In these verses, Jesus gives a parable about a king who had a servant that owed him a large amount of money. So at this time, everybody get your cell phones out quickly. Those of you online, get your cell phones out. Let's do this together. Uh, If you have it, uh, bring out your calculator and wave your phone at me and say, I got mine. Do you have a cell phone? Okay, get it out, wave it at me, and say, I got mine. Oh, my word. It's these, it's these 12 points, John. It's like, oh, 12 points. Okay, you have a cell phone? Okay, okay here we go. Now, I'm, I'm losing my place. Okay, punch in about how much you make in a year. Students, if you don't have a job, punch in what you'd like to make, okay? Punch in about how much you make, okay? If, if you got it, say, I got it. Okay, now multiply that by 15. Okay, multiply that by 15, and then multiply that by 10,000. You might break your calculator, I'm not sure, I don't know. Okay. So is, is everybody with me? Let me just repeat. So how much you make in a year, get that number, then multiply that by 15, and then multiply that by 10,000. Jesus tells this parable And that number that you have on your uh, cell phone there, that's the modern equivalent of how much money a servant owed the king from your own perspective. Is that a big number? (laughs) That's a big number, isn't it? But the king, in this parable of Jesus, he wanted to settle the accounts, and the servant told the king, have mercy on me. It's like the calculator. (laughs) Have mercy on me. I can't pay it right now. Be patient. And guess what happened? The king had compassion on this this servant and forgave the whole debt. And all God's people said, amen. I mean, look at that number. Beloved, God has forgiven us so much, hasn't he? This would make a dead Baptist shout hallelujah and get a little Pentecostal amen. I'm just so grateful, just so grateful for my salvation. Now, I don't like to raise my hands. You've been forgiven so much. This is the point of the parable here. Now, keep that figure in mind. Now, clear your calculator. Hit the C. Clear it. All right? Now, punch in how much you make in one day. How much do you make in one day? That's what someone else owed that servant who was just forgiven that big number but he had that guy thrown into prison until he paid him. And guess what? The king heard about this. The king heard about this. And pick up with me in verse 32. Then summoning him, that is the king, and that is the king summoning this servant, his lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? Doesn't stop there. 
and his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the tormentors or the torturers until he should repay all that was owed to him. Next verse, scary. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you hand you over to the tormentors if each of you does not forgive his brother. How? From your heart. From your heart. Whoa. Notice, your brother, your sister. From your heart. We should never use the grace of God as some type of peon defense to disobey God. We should be listening to what the Father is saying here. Many Christians, they're under spiritual affliction, the tormentors, because of bitterness. And I'm so happy to be up here because I know that God wants to set many people free today through bitterness. He wants to set people free from bitterness and unforgiveness that you've arbored in your heart. This is a good God. He gets rid of evil. This is a good God. He's telling us the way to freedom. Now, what is forgiveness? I'm glad you asked. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. Whoever said that has never been hurt real bad. And if I do try to, you know, follow that, okay, I got to not forget this. In trying not to forgive, it makes me what? Remember. (laughs) It's not forgetting, okay? Forgiveness does not disregard or minimize the harm done to you. Forgiving someone doesn't say, well, what happened, that's okay. No, it's not okay. Forgiveness takes the person off your hook knowing they're still on God's hook. And if your heart craves justice, yeah, you can trust that with Jesus. Amen. Forgiveness agrees to live with the consequences of the harm done that's what forgiveness does I will, agree, I will agree to live with the consequences of what happened forgiveness is not based on feelings not going to happen if it's based on feelings forgiveness is a crisis of the will and God would never command us to do something that we cannot do right And again, the forgiveness is a regard to your brother or your sister in the Lord. So listen to me now. Stay with me. Listen to me. Whom do you need to forgive? Whom is God calling you to forgive today? You've heard me say, others have said it, bitterness is like, you know, having a cup of uh, poison and drinking it and waiting for the other person to die, you know? Set yourself free. Follow King Jesus. Forgive from your heart. There's another kingdom teaching very quickly. The problem problem of divorce and remarriage. I'm almost done. Hang with me now. The problem of divorce and uh, remarriage. So bottom line here, if you're married, stay married. Amen. Don't bail out. You made a covenant with God. Don't bail out. Forgive one another. Love one another. Work it out. And I might add, if you have not consummated your love in a while, do so. Don't let Satan take advantage of you through that way. Be like Jim and Jane Barton, amen? 
celebrated how many years? The big 5-0 years in marriage recently. And I asked Jim, how'd that happen? And he said, the secret is you have to be old and that you don't kill one another. <laughs> okay. All right. By the way, let's give it up for them. 50 years of marriage, huh? <laughs> Amen. Wow. Praise God. Okay. Next, the power of God over materialism. This is where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks the ultimate question, what must I do to be saved? Jesus gives them the commandments and they're related to horizontal relationships and he's like, well, I've done that since birth and then he goes, Jesus goes for the jugular. He goes for the first four commandments which is what? What's the first commandment? Let's do the 10 commandment boogie. Here we go, number one. <laughs> I can't get that song out of my mind. Oh my gosh. It's driving me nuts, man. Okay, what was the first commandment? Yeah, Jesus went for the jugular. His God was materialism. It was all of the lands, and he walked away. He loved his money more than the master. And here's the scary thing. Jesus let him go. Why? Because Jesus is worthy of first place. He doesn't get second place. He doesn't give that to nothing and no one. He's number one, and he's worthy of it. Amen. Okay, uh, next, the preeminence of the king over kingdom reward. By the way, the disciples, they, they kind of freak out over the, uh, uh, the rich young ruler because Jesus lets them go, and then this is where Jesus says, man, it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom, you know? And the disciples were like, well, man, if it's like this, how can anybody be saved? And this is where Jesus says, well, with man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Amen. I've got good news. Rich people can be saved in Jesus. Amen. Even rich people. <laughs> if you live in America, you're rich. Amen. Okay, finally, the preeminence of the king over kingdom reward. This is the parable of the kingdom and laborers. Some workers come in early in the morning and work all day. Some come in uh, at 9 a.m. Some come at noon. Some come at 3. And some even come late uh, to work, or late, but in the day, I should say, at 5 p.m. And when evening came, the landowner told the foreman to pay their wages, beginning with those that came in the latest, and they all got the same wage. They all got the same wage. And those that worked longer in the day were not happy about that. Pick up in verse 13, and we'll close out the message. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go, but I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? And look at this next uh, sentence. Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first, and the first last. It's an upside-down kingdom, beloved. Let's pray together.